In this episode of the Exploring Information Security Podcast, How to Hack iOS, Part 1. Welcome to the Exploring Information Security Podcast, where you will learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I am your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be exploring how to hack iOS. Joining me today to help answer this question is Wes Widener, cloud engineer. Wes, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you, Tim? Good, 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 good. Um, so you were speaking at B-Sides Huntsville on February 3rd. Right. Actually, by the time I think this release, I can't remember. I, I don't know if I'm going to release this before B-Sides Huntsville or after. I'm good, probably going to try to do it before. Um, so should release January 28th. Either way. I, because I, I don't know if I'm, I, I just can't find it. I can't find the abstracts on the B-Sides Huntsville website. So I have <laughs> no idea what this talk is, but we've had Wes on before to talk about mm-hmm. iOS type stuff. He knows this stuff, but kind of, a, can you give me an abstract of what this talk is supposed to be about? Sure. So last time I think we were talking about OS 10 security and it's one of those like obscure niche things. I mean, there's still a lot of people that think that Macs don't get viruses. In fact, uh, Apple themselves even said that they don't get viruses. So this talk actually grew out of that because I got two or three um, system internal books for OS 10. And in the end of these books, they always go into iOS security. And it kind of aggravated me at the time because I was just putting together a talk on OS 10 and I didn't want to like cross over that barrier. But then after you know that whole you know, delivering those talks, then I started looking at it a little bit more. And and what led me into the OS 10 security was my middle son Jesse um, was getting all kinds of viruses on his laptop. Well, then my youngest son Jackson started coming up to me with his uh, iPad and he says, "Dad, I want to get mods installed for uh, for Minecraft." Well, that it doesn't really work that way, and I, I didn't quite have my finger on it. So that's one of the big uh, things that kind of led me into looking into iOS security. And and I had like this some goals for myself when I went to go to study iOS security. It's um I don't want to I want to know what I can do as a security professional to to uh, secure it beyond what Apple does. So I need to know what Apple does. I need to know what I can do. And then I want to stop just short of jailbreaking. Although there is like an entire fun world of jailbreaking. So um, really, it's just kind of like this black box that very few people talk about. And, and what I discovered after getting into it is that I actually work with some of the, the people that are invited by Apple to go and, and examine the kernel and, and stuff like that. So that's it ends up being a pretty cool journey of discovery. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell what my talk is about is just you know, going from nothing, knowing nothing about iOS security, and you know, this phone that I have has all kinds of stuff on it that could be really interesting for for attackers to um, to knowing exactly what's going on under the hood. So, when, so when you're reading this security section of the manual, is it is it like trying to find ways around it? Oh yeah, yeah. The uh, the guys that and I run a an OS 10 awesome list that has at the very end like a set of guys that I've found that are just amazing when it comes to OS 10 and iOS security, but, uh, Jonathan Levin, and he's actually just, um, he was, he wrote a system internal book and one of them is actually free online. I'll give you the link for that later because it's just, 
Um, it's amazing, chock full of stuff. But they have they have approaching iOS security from from the standpoint of just straight up jailbreaking. And actually, I, I have to admit that I did kind of go over. I, I went against one of my goals, and I did go over into the dark side and actually jailbroke one of my <laughs> iPad twos. So, and it's actually a lot easier than it sounds, surprisingly. Really? Yeah, that's that's something that we're kind of struggling with is that and we're, we're, we we have a little bit of a learning curve because there's not a lot out there on like and I'm thinking from like a mobile security assessment standpoint. Oh, yeah. So how do you assess an app uh, that's going on an iOS device? And I think what we've come up with so far is like we have to jailbreak it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to like do yeah. anything on it. It's like it's very difficult to. Um, at least in our view, and this this might just be some of the learning curve too, is is just figuring out how you actually get in there and dig into some of the underlying uh, things going on in the application. Yeah, so for a desktop, it's um, you have access to all of the the applications that are running on it, and so it, you take for granted a lot of things like just how do I load software onto my system with a mobile device, um, more so iOS than Android. You can't run anything on your phone that's not signed by Apple in some way. Now, there's a way around that, and they do allow like very limited sideloading. But one thing I learned is that Apple's security is directly tied to Apple the company, such that um, it's really a benevolence thing. They will let you do certain things, and then they'll, you know, over time they'll take away those those things that they used to let you do. Um, there's one. One great example of a security researcher who put together an app that would look through all of the startup scripts on your phone. Um, they're called plist files. And he wrote an app that would scan the plist files and then tell you everything that was set to run. And shortly after that, like a month after that, a um, um, an exploit came out. This was in like 2000 or 2016 yeah the the end of, or the middle of 2016 august or so there was a series of three exploits one of them was called the trinity exploit but um you remember the the fbi case of the um the san bernardino killers yes mm-hmm. yeah so this was uh, and maybe before we get into it we should kind of for someone who doesn't know um that was where there was a was it deemed a terrorist attack, like on a community college? Uh, it was in that weird time where we weren't saying things were terrorist attacks, <laughs> right? And it was yeah. like, yeah, it was out, out in California, and yeah, it was it was in San Bernardino. It was a um, a guy and his wife um, radicalized, went and shot up his um, his office. I think it was like a Christmas party or something like that, right? Yep. But um, after that, they got his phone. And his phone had been turned off, so there wasn't it wasn't soft on. It was completely cold. And then Apple got um, – well, the FBI wanted to get into it. And what they usually do is they send Apple a um, like a court order to help them unlock it. Well, there was this whole brouhaha about we don't have any back doors. And, and from studying Apple security, they don't – they legitimately don't have back doors in their system. So – the FBI would have to put in the key codes, and my daughter recently learned this because she um, she locked she 
her brother learned her passcode on her phone, and then she went to she changed it while she was in the car. And I told her this is a bad idea. You shouldn't change things in the heat of anger. You know, when you're not sitting there like ready to memorize it. So she predictably forgot her four digit combination. So we learned about combinatorial mathematics. And I told her, look, <laughs> you're probably going to have to go from one to nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. But what we quickly learned is that Apple's internal security mechanisms slow down the rate that you can put codes in. And so uh, I think it, it and it's like an exponential back off. So it would have taken like, I don't know, hundreds of years by the time it was done. Basically, you've got a small window to put in like 10 passwords. And if you don't know that, then if you've got it set to auto wipe, which the San Bernardino killers did, then you're just out of luck. Right. So what they had to do is they had to come up with this whole rig where they would – and they had to like break the phone apart. And so they would put in a, a key combination, and then it would tell them right or wrong. But in the millisecond before it wrote that value back to the system to, to score it as a negative attempt, it would shut the power to the system down, recycle, come back. Now, that gets around the exponential back off, but it's still incredibly slow. So they were having this whole uh, Supreme – or the, it wasn't Supreme Court yet, but, but they were having this whole case against Apple of, you know, you need to help us. You need to give us keys. And what they really wanted was for Apple to give them their master key to install a system update on the device so that they can get in through the BIOS. And that's been the heart of their of Apple's disagreement with uh, the FBI. Right. And even in the last, there was a, a more recent case where, what was it? There was a, um, I forget the shooting, but um, uh, it was in Texas. Yeah, the Sutherland Springs case. He had an iPhone too, and Texas didn't even bother to send a letter to Apple. They just went straight to the courts. Now, I don't know what came of that but um but what's interesting to me from a security standpoint is that in the san bernardino case the fbi was going really hard against apple and then all of a sudden they just stepped back and said never mind we got it and that of course made apple just really uh you know like sit up and where'd you get this from well i followed <laughs> that case down and it was there's there's an entire network of of companies that sell exploits for apple so the one that they bought it from was the um, the NSO group, I think. It's a Israeli um, an Israeli outfit, and they're known um, they're known for selling these exploits like six hundred six hundred fifty thousand or something like that. I mean, it's quite a bit of money. So it's not like something that you're going to go buy. I had a guy call me up one time and ask me if I could sell him malware to help track his ex-wife or something oh, like gosh. that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's not going to be something you're going to buy for that. But nation states buy it. And in that same time period in, in 2016, there was another case of a, um, of a dissident in Saudi Arabia, a human rights um, worker. And he got this strange-looking text one day. And then he forwards it over to some security researchers he knows in, like, Maryland. And they were looking at it, and it turns out it was a um, root exploit for the image processing library in the phone. And it, it was like – it was called the Trinity exploit because it took three different attack vectors all together in order to get root access to the phone. And it basically came out that Saudi Arabia had paid $2 million just to exploit this one guy's phone, one dude's phone. So, 
I find it interesting in a number of ways when it comes to security research. One is that exploits for for the iPhone are extremely profitable from a security standpoint. And two, they're really rare. So Apple actually does a good job. But the reason why I put my talk together is, is that um, most people don't know that there's like this active um, – it's kind of like a shadow war. Because Apple has it in their interest to not let it be publicized very much. And, you know, these guys that are selling exploits in the wild, they don't want to publicize it either. I mean, not to the general public anyway. So, so yeah, it's, it's this weird, crazy world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, I guess, I guess based on that, like, how do we get started with, like, hacking iOS? So, starting... Hacking iOS, you have to really define what you're what you're after. So there's application security. We talked about that a little bit, and we can go into that a little bit more. Or there's um, just general, like, what do I look for when it comes to the phones around me in my house? Like, kind of like a family ops, you know, or right. a small business ops. So, so, so okay, so yeah, this is like breaking into a phone versus mm-hmm. like actually like looking at an application itself, right? Or def- uh, or perimeter defense, you know? Because honestly, I, I you I, I work at I work at a high value target. I know you probably do too. Um, and I have like we use two factor authentication everywhere. So if my phone were compromised, that'd be a big deal, you know. Right. And, and so, so are both those in your talk or what's the talk kind of focused on? So the talk is more focused on like defense of my phone. Um, how do I, how do I know that it hasn't been compromised? So the, the genesis of it was when I, when I did the um, OS 10 talk, a friend of mine or who later became a friend of mine, Josh came up to me and he said, um, you know, I've got this, he, he, did security for missions organizations, and he was the one that told me about the case from Saudi Arabia because he has people in countries like that that he's trying to protect that have that much firepower aimed at them, potentially. So he needs to know, like, how do I know that a phone hasn't been compromised? And then beyond that, how can I proactively make sure that it's not going to be compromised? So that's that's really the route that the talk went down is because um, – because I'm actually basically talking to Josh here, like retroactively. Here's all the research I did to answer your question after the fact, <laughs> which, yeah. which we did, and it, it actually was used in um, in uh, one or two cases where there was a question of whether or not the phones were compromised. But uh, as a broad level, um, knowing how Apple secures each and every file on the phone. Um, well, let me back up. So, to do anything with the iPhone is incredibly painful. Um, outside of Apple, even inside of Apple's like walled garden, doing it their way is still kind of painful, right? Do you have any? Uh, how many phones do you have in your house? Oh gosh, well phones. We've got two. Yeah. We've got you know we've got several more okay. tablets. So yeah, yeah. So I've got I, <laughs> I'm one of those weird tech people. So. I've got four kids, my wife and I, and my four kids all have iPads. So off the bat, we have four iOS devices there. And then my wife and I and the two older kids all have iPhones, so we've got another four iPhones. So we've got eight iOS devices just just by them by themselves. And then like 
of course, the uh, the littler kids, like six and eight, they have no shame when it comes to going downloading all kinds of apps. So, <laughs> of course, <laughs> right. So, um, and and iOS security has actually morphed over time, but basically, and I get this impression from a lot of people. The phone can't be hacked, so why do I need to worry about whatever – like, I don't need to worry about anything. So for the most part, Apple tries to make that reality happen. So it's really hard for a malicious app to get into the App Store, but it's not impossible. There's um, – to give you an idea of how good Apple – or how good of a job Apple's done, there's only been one widespread outbreak of a, of a malicious virus or a Trojan and that was in China through an ad network, and the ad network was had people um, click on a click on a link, and then go and install a certificate onto the device, and then from that they would install an enterprise application. So there's actually three different ways to get an app onto an iPhone. There's the App Store method that everybody knows, and that's um, by far the most secure. The next one is the sideloading, and that's heavily restricted by Apple. And you would basically have to, in in all of these cases, you have to accept the certificates. So you're probably not going to sideload unless it's your own application, which is another thing that we'll get into, like jailbreaking, stuff like that. But the most common would be the um, enterprise certificate. An enterprise certificate is something like, I did uh, mobile development for Chick-fil-A for a little while, and so... They, I was. That's where I was introduced to some of the enterprise level features, and what they do is they say, "Here's a. It's kind of like a star certificate for a domain. You can. You have the certificate. Apple grants you a certificate. It's like two hundred dollars on top of the one hundred that you already have to pay for the developer. So it's not something that you know an average person is going to get into. And and um, Apple heavily restricts the developer, like who can be a developer. Um, my, I was trying to get my daughter signed up so that she could develop um, iOS apps, and they noticed that the name on the credit card was not the same name as the person that was signing up for it, and they rejected it. That give you an idea of how <laughs> how strict their developer certificates are. But anyway, the the case in China was you went and installed this um, Star Cert, effectively this enterprise certificate, and from there you go and install this app. That was signed from this um, this star certificate, and even then they got maybe twenty thousand people to download it, and then Apple shut it down hard. So it didn't spread that rapidly, um, and it took a lot of effort on the user's part. So you're not going to see a whole lot of um, like drive-by downloads or uh, the threat profile is totally different than a desktop. So the, the desktop model is just widespread panic. In the iOS sphere, you've got more of a targeted um, – this, this application is designed to exploit somebody in this particular way. So one of the biggest vulnerabilities that you see in iOS applications are developers, particularly developers of um, open source projects, which tend to be a little bit looser on their security than enterprise. Um We've got several cases of like VLC has been hit pretty hard. Um, not WinApp, that's been out there, or that's not been in development for a while, but not not Cody either. But but you know, well-known open source projects where some developer and some developer's been kind of um, lax with his key security. Those get leaked. 
then they get used to sign other malicious applications and it goes just goes on from there so there's compromising a developer certificate then there's compromising the app itself which has happened um, actually even um, late last year it happened with Apple's own handoff feature um, there uh, you're familiar with the the handoff right where you've got a call that comes in and it, it shows up on your um, your computer and on your iPhone at the same time and you can kind of flip between the two I think it's no. part of the um, FaceTime stuff. Is is it just like a sync or? Yeah, well, it's a it's actually an audio stream that goes back and forth between both of them. Okay. And um, yeah, you and and the idea is that you can switch from being like like I've got my headset connected to my laptop here to handing it off to my phone and go mobile with it. But the what was found on that is that the security um, between the handoff wasn't uh, basically the guys who developed it weren't following Apple's own best security practices so the handoff you could tell the computer that you that the phone had hung up and then not disconnect the stream so effectively you could trigger this call never disconnect it and turn the the computer into a um, listening device so interesting and and it's because of the the way that the application you know, it's just you know, developer or best practices, and and like I said, Apple them Apple themselves don't you know they they fall prey to that every now and then. So to kind of go back to the how you get an application onto an iPhone, uh, when you submit your application to the App Store, Apple has this notorious review process, and Apple can't go through and look at every line of code that's updated, and they really don't want to either. So what they do is they rely heavily on static analysis, and what they're looking for are um, are the system libraries that your application is calling. And what they'll do is they they have like this growing list of of um, blacklisted function calls, and if you if you uh, have any of those, then they'll kick your application out. What they also do is a static analysis on. Um, how much of your code gets called in what execution paths. So they're looking for like dark regions of code that, that could maybe be triggered by, a, um, you know, like the Konami code or something like that. So application, you know, malicious applications try to um, pass themselves off as a legitimate application. And then, you know, over time they'll, they'll manifest something and, and like ask somebody, Something So a good example of that would be an application that's running, and then all of a sudden it pops up a window to say, I need your, um, your App Store password in order to do something. Well, that's what Apple's looking for. Because most users, this is kind of one of the, the catch-22s of, of Apple's security. Because people have been lulled into the sense of security, um, doing some of the most basic things, we were talking about social engineering earlier, um, just doing the most basic things, like just asking them for their password, is enough most of the time to just compromise the whole thing. So, yeah. But uh, one of the things I wanted to to add to my talk this time, I presented it last time at uh, B Sides Augusta. But one thing that I want to add to it is an article that I sent you about um, iOS security has been steadily degrading over time, and it's um part of it is that. That Apple, they start off with this really strong security model, and then a whole lot of people like my mother would go out and get an iPhone, and then they get really frustrated that they have to 
you know, do all this super secure stuff. And so Apple's, you know, they get worn down over time. And so what they've done is they've collapsed everything on the iPhone down to the pin, the, the four or six digit pin that you put in to secure your phone. And um, the, the outcome of that is if I know your pin, then I can, ac- I can gain access to your Apple ID. I can gain access to your, well, of course, your phone, but all of your, your backup information, all of that. I can suck all that out. Now, that still requires physical access, but you'd be surprised. I mean, and it all depends like on the, on the level of uh, sophistication of the, the target. Now, one thing that Apple's done really well in their security is they've, because, because it's really hard to, um, well, because you need physical access to it, and because they actively monitor their devices, and they're they are their devices. Don't ever think that your phone is yours. Um, <laughs> yeah. If your phone's been stolen, then um, there's very little that an attacker can do to get into the data on the phone. I mean, it's it's by default it's secure. Now the flip side of that is that recently there was a story that came out that um, there was a batch of iPhone 10s that had been stolen. And there was this poor guy in in uh, San Francisco who the police had been told this guy has one of the stolen iPhones. And so effectively, they just swatted his house, broke in, like um, put his wife in handcuffs while she was still in the shower. Well, I mean, they drug her out of the shower and all that stuff. But it took him like several hours to kind of produce the receipt of here. No, I actually bought this phone. But the thing from my perspective, from a security perspective, is that Apple had such a a cozy relationship with the police they just sent them like here's all the i or what is it iemis the mm-hmm. the signatures of the phones right. that we think were fo- were stolen so um it's kind of creepy you know all right cool well uh looks like we're running a little bit short on time and we've still got plenty more to get to with this topic um so we'll get to this next week Wes if if uh, you're cool with that yeah that's great all right. And since this will be a two-parter, uh, I do want to make mention of the fact that Wes will be at B-Sides Huntsville if you plan to be in the area. I believe there are still tickets available. He will have the 3.30 slot in the alt track for iOS hacking. I will be there for sure. Uh, Wes will be there, and we hope to see you there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that will do it for part one. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at timothydblock. Show notes can be found at timothydblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one. Have a good one.